You are listening to Gone But Never Forgotten. Our topics can include, but are not limited to, murder, sexual assault, graphic and gruesome details, and more. These topics are adult in nature and are not meant for everyone. Listener discretion is advised. Everybody knows that true crime can be a real buzz killer. So why not pair it with a nice glass of wine? Join us, Macy and Nicole, the hosts of Buzzkillers, a true crime podcast, as we drink our way through new bottles of wine every week while navigating true crime cases, conspiracy theories, and even some spooky haunts. The deep dives are kept light with banter and personal tales, and even the occasional boozy hiccup. Listeners are encouraged to grab a drink of any kind and tune in every Sunday as we tell the tales of the wicked that plague this world. Buzzkillers can be streamed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and anywhere else you like to listen. Check out our website, www.buzzkillerspodcast.com, for more information. Hi, this is Molly. And Cody. The host of Over the Fence True Crime Podcast. Please join us as we talk about true crime in the most normal place in the world. Over Over the the fence. Fence. To be specific, over our backyard fence. We're both moms of humans and of dogs. We live directly next door to each other and share many conversations about life and family, but mostly true crime, over our backyard fence. And we invite you to come learn more about true crime and, well, us. We give a lot of attention to California true crime, but have ventured throughout the U.S. and even across the pond and plan to continue our world domination in the near future. Listen to us wherever you listen to your podcasts or give us a follow on Instagram at over the fence underscore podcast. So grab a drink and talk with us over the fence. If I say the name Eric Clinton Kirk Newman to you, Odds are that unless you are really and truly a lover of true crime, that name doesn't ring a bell for you. I am pretty sure, for example, that Julie would not recognize that name. However, when Eric Newman legally changed his name, he changed it to something that is much more known in the casual true crime world, and also known by almost every person that was alive at the time he committed his crimes, and especially his worst crime. In 2006, Eric changed his name to Luca Magnata, and on May 25th, 2012, a series of events would kick off that would give Luca Magnata something that he had been chasing for his entire life, fame. But not the fame that any normal person looks for, no. Luca Magnata decided to up the level of crime that he was committing, and he had already committed a lot and a lot of heinous crimes. This time, he would commit murder and desecration to a body unlike almost anything ever seen before on Canadian soil. This case is a look into how horrible things on the internet can really be, if you weren't already aware. Welcome to episode 23 of Gone But Never Forgotten, The Life and Crimes of Luca Magnata.
Hello everyone, and welcome back to GBNF. For this episode, I will be flying solo without Julie. True crime, as mentioned before, is something that I have long enjoyed, and I am so happy to have Julie on this adventure with me. But there will be times and cases where Julie will politely bow out because her ability to take in true crime does have its limits, and I respect and love her for being open and honest enough to know which cases she cannot handle. When I started to dive into the crimes of Luca Magnata, I was actually shocked to find out how terrible he really was beyond what I already knew. And I was also shocked to see the warning signs that he was exhibiting that were largely ignored. As someone who was relatively young at the time of these murders, the name and the major crime that would finally land him behind bars was shocking enough. This is the kind of case where I feel we need to emphasize the fact that this podcast and the topic is not for everyone. Listener discretion, again, is really and truly advised on this case. Eric Newman is an interesting study, that much is for sure. This is a man who went through a lot as a child and as a young man. You could spend months doing a case study on him. This is a man who really and truly had an ascent into madness and an ascent into violent crime, and this is a man who was driven by pure narcissism. He wanted everyone and anyone to know who he was, and he tried so many different avenues to find fame finally settling on one that would end up with him sitting behind bars, hopefully for the rest of his life. As mentioned, Luca Rocco Magnata was born Eric Clinton Kirk Newman on July 24, 1982, in Scarborough, Ontario. He was the son of Anna Yorkin and Donald Newman. Eric was the eldest of three children born to the couple. According to Eric, Anna was obsessed with cleanliness, frequently locked her children out of the family home, and even once put the family pets, rabbits, outside to freeze to death so that she would be rid of them. Donald was diagnosed with schizophrenia in 1994 and would then become divorced from Anna, and Eric would move in with his grandmother, Phyllis, after the split. Eric and his younger brother were homeschooled until 1998, which led them to having an incredibly isolated life. The lack of social exposure combined with living in a home with a mother and father who struggled with mental issues and illness likely did not help Eric from a young age. As most of us know, a lot of things can become normalized within a family home, and when that is the main source of social exposure, that can be troubling depending on what the normal is. This falls within the nature versus nurture argument and whether the way that a child is raised can lead to complications later in life, like it would eventually do with Eric. In 1998, Eric would enroll at I.E. Weldon Secondary School in Lindsay, Ontario. He was remembered by staff and classmates as a very vain young man, and it was noted that he was often bullied in school and made himself into an easy target. It is unknown if Eric graduated from I.E. Weldon. Court documents would show that in 2000, Eric was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia 
and he would also be hospitalized a few times because of the illness. In 2001, Eric would move to Toronto, and in 2002, he began working as a stripper at a nightclub called Remington's. Not long after that, he also began to be a part of gay pornographic films. Two films were completed by 2003. Also in the year 2003, Eric would seem to have his first dip into criminal activity, or at least the first one that we know about. He befriended a 21-year-old special needs woman who was mentally aged between only 8 and 12 years of age. He sexually assaulted the woman and photographed the entire crime. After that, he also convinced the woman to apply for a credit card and he racked up approximately $14,000 of debt using her credit card. He would be charged for both crimes in 2004, facing charges of sexual harassment and fraud, but the sexual assault charge would later be dropped and he would only go to trial for fraud. During his trial, his defense lawyer brought to light the diagnosis that Eric had received previously for the schizophrenia. Because of his mental issues, the judge let Eric off with a light sentence for his crime, citing, quote, significant psychiatric issues, unquote. Eric pled guilty, and he would be convicted of one count of impersonation and three counts of fraud against Sears Canada, the Brick and 2001 audio video. He would receive a nine-month conditional sentence with 12 months of probation. In Canada, a conditional sentence is a sentence that does not require the perpetrator to remain in custody as long as a list of rules are followed. The guilty party essentially lives similarly to how they would if they were on parole. Ironically, one of the stipulations for receiving a conditional sentence is that the presiding judge must determine that the guilty party does not pose a risk to the community at large if they are left out of prison. Unfortunately, as we are well aware, Luca did pose a risk towards the community at large and would eventually commit even more heinous crimes. In 2005, Eric would appear as a pinup model in the Fab magazine a gay bi-weekly periodical in Toronto. In the photos, he went by the name Jimmy. He said that he was born in Russia and that his goal was to become a homicide detective. On August 12, 2006, Eric would change his name legally and become known by the name that we now know him as, Luca Rocco Magnata. While this is the name that he would start and continue to go by, he also appeared in pornographic films under the pseudonyms Vladimir Romanov and the aforementioned Jimmy. At this time, also, Lucas set to work on a very vast and frankly impressive online undertaking. He began to create websites, social media accounts, blogs, discussion forum posts, and more to create an entire online footprint that was dedicated to the life and times of Luca Magnata. One of the rumors that would later be traced back to Luca as the origin was that Luca Magnata was or had been dating Carla Homolka. For those of you listening who do not know who Carla Homolka is, she was the wife of notorious killer and rapist Paul Bernardo and was someone who played a major part in the crimes that Paul Bernardo committed. 
Carla, though, had escaped a lot of potential jail time by giving information, being an informant, and giving evidence to the police in order for Paul Bernardo to be tried and convicted. Carla Homolka now is living free outside of jail, but hers is a story for another episode. Luca even called into a Toronto talk radio show to start complaining that people were ruining his life because of the rumors that he was dating or had dated Carla. He said that modeling agencies and the like would give his name a search when he was trying to find work and they would not call back and certainly would not hire him after they saw that he was connected to Carl Homolka. It was an apparent plea for people to stop spreading what he called lies and a call for people to leave him alone as much as it was seemingly his way to denounce the rumors in a proactive way. In the movie Don't Fuck With Cats, Hunting an Internet Killer, which we did use for a lot of research, Joe Warmington, who worked for the Toronto Sun at the time, spoke of the call into the radio station and then also spoke of having contact with Luca Magnata, who wanted to set up an interview with Joe. Luca tried to convince Joe to meet him outside of the Toronto Sun offices, but Joe said that he would speak to Luca if he came to the office at 333 King Street East in Toronto. One thing I do want to take a moment to dispel here is that the Toronto Sun is not a tabloid paper, as many Canadians and non-Canadians have reported. The Toronto Sun is a daily newspaper like the Star and the Globe and Mail and others in Toronto. It's designed to look more like a tabloid, but it is not. It is a daily. Joe speaks now of a man who came into the offices with his bleached blonde hair and obvious attempts to try and look like Paul Bernardo, and he immediately says that he had warning bells going off. At first glance, and after speaking to Luca for any amount of time, Joe says that it was obvious that Luca was not okay. He says that he wishes that he had maybe picked up on even more cues, but at the time of meeting him, he just felt that Luca seemed to have the personality of someone who could possibly hurt himself, but he did not meet someone that he thought would ultimately be capable of killing someone. He said that when Luca walked into the offices of the Toronto Sun, quote, his eyes were like glass. He floated into the room like he was high and spoke in a monotonous way that made it clear that he was not connecting. The strange man seemed paranoid and delusional, unquote. Luca told Joe, quote, I took some sleeping pills last night. I have had death threats and someone stole my dog. I think it might have been someone from my past. I have worked in adult films and have met a lot of people, unquote. Joe ran his story and even reached out to the public saying that if anyone could help Luca, now might be the time to reach out to him and do so. Unfortunately, that did not happen and the events that we are about to dive into started to take place. In March of 2007, Luca had himself accumulated about $17,000 in debt. And since he was unable to pay off his considerable debts, he filed for bankruptcy, citing illness, lack of employment, and insufficient income to pay off his debts as the cause of the filing. While the bankruptcy was working its way through the system, Luca also continued to try and reach fame, something that he spent most of his life hunting and desiring. 
he unsuccessfully took part in reality shows like Cover Guy on OutTV and Plastic Makes Perfect on Slice. In October of 2009, Luca would go on a tour of Russia, Italy, and France with a 70-year-old man that he had met, and while on the trip, and soon after the trip, his postings on social media and his persona seemed to take on an even darker, more sinister, and strange twist. In the fall of 2010, Luca would post a video on one of his many Facebook profiles that showed a man being beaten to death. It was becoming clear to anyone that was watching Luca that he was in trouble. The problem was that even though Luca had tried incredibly hard to become famous and to get his name out in the public in nefarious ways, nobody was watching. Nobody knew who the hell Luca Magnata was, and even though you could find a lot of things if you searched his name, you would have to know his name to Google it. Unfortunately, Luca was now in the fast lane of upping his transgressions and crimes in a big way, and he was eventually going to reach that level of fame that he was looking for. I will take a quick moment to reiterate that what we're about to start discussing is incredibly graphic and horrific, and talks about harm and the murder of animals, specifically cats. If that is something that you are unable to handle, please stop listening. Just before Christmas in 2009, a video was posted online that was incredibly disgusting. The video that started to circulate online was entitled One Boy, Two Kittens. Something that was innocent sounding, but unfortunately that was exactly where the innocence ended. The video showed a young man who did not show his face playing with two kittens on a bed. He then proceeded to put the two kittens into a vacuum seal bag and started to suck the air out of the bag, suffocating the cats in the process. Christmas songs are playing in the background while this horrible thing takes place, and the young man in the video even appears to be laughing and taking great pleasure in literally watching the life leave the eyes of these two innocent cats. The video ended with a zoom in on the now deceased cats inside of the bag. I'm going to personally add the disclaimer here that I have not, nor am I able to even attempt to watch this video. There are clips that do not show the crime and don't fuck with cats, but there is a 0% chance that I can personally watch this video. I pride myself on being a cat person, and I'm even man enough to admit that I teared up simply at the explanation and small bits of the video that showed the cats alive and well in the documentary. I highly recommend not watching this video as there is no way it can be good for anyone psychologically. The username that was attached to the video was youonlywish500 and a second video also surfaced quickly that showed the same young man playing with the two kittens after they had been killed. An absolutely disgusting act. These two videos were all it took for people online to band together and start to form a task force of sorts to try and find the person that was responsible for these horrible acts. Obviously, as most people do know, when people post online, it can be very hard or damn near impossible to find out who posted those things originally, where that person may be, or even what authorities they can call to report such a thing. 
even more than now, back in 2009, the internet kind of existed in its own place and didn't really have very many checks and balances. A bunch of internet sleuths would band together, create a Facebook group called Find the Vacuum Kitten Killer for Great Justice, and start working tirelessly to try and find out who was responsible for the video. There were obviously two huge reasons for people to try and work together and find this person. The first of which being tied to the title of the documentary. That being that one thing that is almost universal code in the world is you do not fuck with cats. Cats are universally used as a source of joy on the internet and cat videos and cat photos are often searched, saved, and watched when people are feeling down and out. Imagine the damage that could be done to someone if they thought that One Boy Two Kittens was a video that would bring them joy and they watched on as horrible things started to happen. The second reason is something that I would assume most listeners would be aware of and that is the thing that is often referred to as the link, which is the well-established link between cruelty against animals and cruelty against people. The Massachusetts Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and Northeastern University found that animal abusers are in fact five times as likely to harm other humans. In 2013, another study was also published that showed that 43% of people who commit school massacres had also previously committed acts of cruelty against animals, predominantly cats or dogs, before they escalated. Cruelty in any form against animals is considered to be a precursor crime to things like child abuse, domestic violence, elder abuse, and other violent behaviors, let alone things like physical assaults and murders. This band of internet sleuths came together and started to pick apart everything that they could in the video in order to try and start narrowing down where the video was made. They knew that there were often many things that can be seen and that can, that can at least narrow down to a region or country or area of the world where someone may in fact be from. This includes things like magazines, newspapers, and so many other things that would look different depending on where the poster or creator of the video was from. In this case, one of the things that they centered in upon was a pack of cigarettes that was this, in the second video and it had a Surgeon General warning on them. And they realized that that meant that the video was at least made in North America. And as such, if the video was original, that likely meant that the creator was in fact from North America. They also managed to find out the make and model of the vacuum that was used in the video. And again, they found out that that particular vacuum was only sold in North America. They were on their way. Unfortunately, groups and hunts starting also seemingly started to give Luca exactly what he was looking for, some level of fame and attention. Clearly, he did not care how he got that fame or what he had to do to get it. Luca Magnata simply wanted everyone to know his name. Through an obvious burner account, they found a photo of the man from the video with the cats, but his face was blurred out. This was very clearly an attempt to egg people on and almost a way of saying, here I am, come and get me. The attention would ramp up from there as Rescue Inc. would join in the hunt for the kitten killer. 
Rescue Inc. was a show that premiered in 2009 on the National Geographic Channel. The show was made up of a group of motorcycle riders who worked hard to fight against cruelty against animals and sought to rescue and save animals that were in need. For the group that was trying to track down the kitten killer, this was a double-edged sword. The news was good because this brought more exposure to the case and the crime, but the news was also bad because it brought more exposure to the case and the crime. This was exactly what Luca Magnata wanted. He wanted people to be looking for him and to him, and the game was indeed on. Also, with more eyes on the case, the number of people who thought that they may recognize the man in the video grew exponentially. People were trying to help, but when you have a relatively nondescript man on video with no sense of what he looked like, there were a lot of leads and the witch hunt was indeed on. I'm going to pause to take a break here. This week's episode is sponsored in part by Creations from the Heart. Donna is a metalsmith who specializes in saw-pierced pieces, jewelry and decorative pieces, and saw-pierced nature scenes on stones. She does amazing work and is able to design and create whatever you can put your mind to, and as such is very open to custom orders. I can personally vouch for her work as she has designed a dragon pendant piece for my chain and also created a new wedding ring for me. Her work is professional, the turnaround is quick, and I cannot stress enough how creative and high quality her work is. I also have one of Donna's Tree of Life pendants and absolutely adore her work. You can purchase Donna's work directly or request custom work by searching Creations from the Heart on Etsy, Facebook, or Instagram. I cannot stress enough that the heart in all of her sites is H-A-R-T. Next time you're looking for a one-of-a-kind gift for yourself or someone that you love and want professional quality without the boutique price, get in touch with Creations from the Heart and you will not be disappointed. The mass group of people that were looking for the man behind the video actually managed to narrow down their hunt and they settled on someone that they believed was the man. In their defense, the man in question, whose name we will leave out of this podcast, had posted a lot online that appeared to be admission of guilt, but there were some serious issues. The core group that was hunting down the kitten killer, as mentioned, had seemingly determined that the killer was from North America. But the person that everyone had settled on as the kitten killer didn't even live in North America. He was threatened and dogged online, and unfortunately the end result was that he killed himself. There are many mixed emotions for me here, as I feel like obviously a person that was innocent of the crime had their life brought to an end. But at the same time, I cannot in my mind fathom why someone would pretend to be the kitten killer when they were not. It would appear that much like Luca, this man may have been chasing clout of all the wrong kinds. As an aside, I have said this in the past, 
We do need to be careful when we start to investigate crimes and especially when we start to point fingers. We all love true crime and there is something about hunting and chasing and trying to be a detective. But regardless of what, we, what may have been wrong with the person in this case, a man who was not involved at all had their life come to an end because of online threats and what definitely amounts to bullying. When people are not careful, lives are also unequivocally changed and ended at times. When that happens, you have to ask yourself how different someone involved in a situation like this is when compared to the criminals themselves. I will boldly state my personal belief that if you are partially responsible for someone's death, you are still partially responsible for someone's death. It doesn't matter how or why. I believe that most people that try to bring closure to crimes are doing so for the right reasons, but there is a very fine line between being a part of the solution and becoming a monster yourself. Be careful. After this horrible turn of events, things kind of stopped. A lot of people realized that they needed to take a step back because even though they were trying to catch a bad guy, they realized what I just said. They recognize that sometimes what looks like the answer is not the answer. And in this particular case, it seemed that the evidence was completely ignored and the lynch mob had claimed a victim instead of catching a criminal. However, things would get kicked back into overdrive when another burner account messaged some of the members of the group and said, quote, The person you are looking for is Luca Magnata. So as I think most people would, People began to search Luca Magnata online, and they could not believe what they found. Luca Magnata was a name that nobody had ever heard of, but when his name was punched into search engines, there was a lot of information available on Luca Magnata. There was a plethora of photos from all over the world, stories of him and Carla Homolka, and hundreds of fan sites that were dedicated to him. There were rumors of celebrities that he was related to, and rumors of celebrities he had dated, and just an incredible amount of information on a man that seemingly was unknown. It was very confusing to everyone involved. Even though the group now had a name, and seemingly a man that looked like the man in the video, they were very hesitant to point fingers again because of what had happened previously. So a small group of people started to do a deep dive into Luca Magnata to get to the heart of the information, and that is when things started to unravel. The group started to study the pictures that they had of Luca Magnata to see if they could narrow down where he was or where he had been. They started to use EXIF data to do so. EXIF data, or Exchangeable Image File Format, is a standard that specifies how, where, and when a picture was originally taken. It can contain info up to and including shutter speed, camera model, date and time that the picture was taken, and even where the picture was taken. It can also let you know if the photos are legitimate or if they have been doctored. The vast majority of the photos that were posted of Luca Magnata globetrotting were in fact photoshopped and not original. His face had been placed onto the bodies of other people in order to make him look more important than he ever was or ever would be. 
the sleuths are also starting here to realize that most of the comments that were on the pages all had the same sound and diction to them, not to mention the same typos and errors. After sifting through a lot of photos, the group finally found a photo of Luca that was legitimate, and they could see in the location ID that the picture was taken in Toronto. Using the background of the photo, they were able to triangulate using Google Maps and a gas station to a point that they believed that they actually knew what building Luca Magnata had taken the picture in. At this point, they contacted the Toronto Police Services and the police actually went to the address to do a check on Luca Magnata. The group that had been working tirelessly waited and hoped and prayed that perhaps they had helped catch their man and he would find some justice for what he had done. Unfortunately though, when the police arrived at the address and apartment in question, they would be told that Luca was gone. He had moved to Russia. For all intents and purposes, Luca Magnata was in the wind. The trail had gone cold. But Luca, having seemingly escaped, just couldn't help himself. He finally was getting everything he ever wanted, and he was not about to stop. He longed and lusted for what he was getting. Two more videos would be posted online. The first video showed a cat being drowned in a bathtub, and then another video of a kitten being fed to a snake. In that second video, Luca was also wearing a Santa hat, and that's significant because the man that had previously been tracked and been called the kitten killer that took his life was also wearing a Santa hat in his mass spread photo. It seemed that Luca was giving a massive fuck you to the group that he was relishing in the fact that someone had died because of what he was doing. This infuriated the internet group and the chase was back on. As a part of the hunt, Alex West, a reporter from London, went to a hotel in London after the internet detectives believed that they had tracked down Luca once again. He went up a fire escape and banged on Luca Magnata's door. Alex was armed with a dossier filled with videos and photos that seemed to point to Luca's guilt. The conversation was secretly recorded, and when Luca was questioned about the kittens, instead of having an alibi, he told Alex he didn't want to talk about it. He also said that the photos and, vi and videos had been doctored and that he was not involved. However, his reaction, being caught off guard, definitely seemed to show some level of guilt. After the visit, Alex West would receive an email from the person who made the videos with a haunting message. The email was from, quote, John Kilbride, which was the name of a 12-year-old boy that had been murdered in London in June of 1964. Here is the transcript of the email. Quote, Well, I have to say goodbye for now, but don't worry. In the near future, you will be hearing from me again. This time, however, the victims won't be small animals. I will, however, send you a copy of the new video I'm going to be making. You see, killing is different than smoking. With smoking, you can actually quit. Once you kill and taste blood, it's impossible to stop. The urge is just too strong not to continue. You know, the fun part of all this is watching millions of people get very angry and frustrated because they can't catch me. That's why I love this. I love the risk factor. 
it's so fun watching people work so hard gathering all of the evidence and then not being able to name me or catch me. You see, I always win. I always hold the trump card and will continue to make more movies. Next time you hear from me, it will be in a movie I am producing that will have some humans in it, not just pussies. Smiley face emoji. Well, it was fun fucking around with everyone, so have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year's. I know I will. Smiley face emoji. Getting away with all of this, now that is genius. Signed, yours truly, or is it, John Kilbride. That is where we will leave it for part one on this episode on Luca Magnata. I think, as I have said, that many people are familiar with the story of the murder that this monster committed, but I think that a lot of people have heard about, have not heard about everything that happened before that. Don't Fuck With Cats is a really good documentary that focuses in a lot on the ins and outs of trying to chase him down, and if you can handle it, I do recommend it. However, it's definitely not recommended viewing for everyone. As we can already see, Luca Magnata was a man that suffered from a lot of things, not the least of which appears to be a strong narcissistic complex, and you will see even more of that when we talk about what he was doing at the time of his arrest in the next episode. This episode and everything on Luca Magnata is definitely a showing of some warning signs, and I will even venture to say a look into how bad the mental health situation is in parts of the world. Luca Magnata is someone that desperately needed help but was unwilling to accept it. He tried so many avenues to try and become famous, and in the end, he got what he wanted by becoming a massive asshat. Unfortunately, his dive into crime and depictable, despicable acts was going to escalate, as many people trying to catch him feared that it was going to. On our next episode, we will continue our look at Luca Magnata and the horrific things that he did. If you do like Gone But Never Forgotten, and you like what we're producing and putting out, please consider helping us out. We would like to do more episodes, and we would like to grow our fan base, and we also have ideas for so many more podcasts. Personally, I'm hoping that I can make pod podcasting a full-time job, as I love to research and tell stories. There are many ways that you can help us to cover the costs of producing the podcast if you feel so inclined to support us as creators. The first of which is, of course, Patreon. We have many different levels of support, starting as low as $2 a month. You can also send a one-time support through PayPal to our email address, which is gbnfpod at gmail.com. Finally, we do have new merch. Julie has modeled one of the shirts for you on our Instagram page, and there are shirts, buttons, stickers, tote bags, and so much more to be purchased with the GBNF logos. You can grab GBNF merch by following our link tree at linktr ee forward slash gbnfpod. We also have that link on all of our social media accounts. Or directly, you can find the merch at trepublic.com forward slash user forward slash gbnf slash true slash crime slash store. Every little bit does help. And if you choose to support us, at the very least, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast and so much more. 
Thank you in advance. Until next time, be happy, stay safe, and be good people. In a world that at times feels like it's falling apart at the seams, we need more good people and less asshats.